Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday to you all. I don't get to say that very often, but here we are with Daily Devotions on a beautiful Sunday morning, and I'm so glad that you've taken the time to join us for Daily Devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. I've got my coffee here ready, and I think we're ready to go as we're following along our reading plan that's been leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. Probably a lot of familiar uh, stuff in here that you've read about before in, in Matthew and Luke. You're going to find Jesus commissioning the the 12 disciples and this growing uh, group of disciples behind Jesus. Where up until this point, it's been primarily about Jesus doing the bulk of the work of teaching and preaching and healing and serving and loving people where uh, now it's the disciples' turn to be able to go and practice the things that Jesus has not only taught them, but that he's shown them. So that's an interesting bit. And then you also find Jesus' uh, feeding of the 5,000, uh, and then also Peter's uh, confession of the Christ. And how all of these fit together uh, is actually rather interesting to my mind, uh, because there's a, there's a number of things that will... We want to try and point out some th things to look at as we're sitting down and reading through these passages and trying to see how it is that they all fit together. And here's, here's the first thing. Uh, one of them being that as Jesus sends out the disciples and he commissions them to, to go out in full trust that God's going to provide them, provide for them on their ways, on their journeys, and being dependent on the hospitality of the people who accept the good news of the kingdom of God. Which is, uh, it's a bold move, for sure. Um, even by those ancient standards, that's a really bold move. Uh, and so, I'm sure Pastor Jesse could actually tell you, uh, even more than I ever could, about what that feels like experientially in working with a, a an organization like Time to Revive. But... He can tell that story. I'm not here to tell here to tell you his stories, but I digress. But one of the interesting things about that, uh, where uh, you see the disciples going and they're preaching and they're coming back and there's wonderful success reports, but that when the disciples and Jesus try to retreat to Bethsaida uh, and the the people now are flocking to to Jesus and the disciples and they're coming. And they want some hospitality and needs to be fed, uh, to be met. Uh, it's like the disciples can't figure out how to return the favor. As they've been working and depending on the hospitality of other people, they somehow can't seem to, um, to return that kind of hospitality to people who are coming to them. And so it's that alone is a, a useful reminder for us that even as we're following Jesus and we're learning from his example and we're trying to uh, be as much as we can uh, disciples of Jesus Christ to remember that uh, learning how to do this is a process and that it's it's not simply enough to um, hear the message or to proclaim the message, but to let the message and its truth affect us so that in return we become practitioners of what we preach because alas um you, you, as i say you know talk is cheap 
Um, actions are the things that matter, uh, which I think maybe the better way to say it is, is that um, uh, we need to be people who are just as true in our actions as we are in our words, and that um, there's a holy consistency between those two. And that's how we, at least one aspect of how we grow as mature disciples of Jesus. But then also, the, the, the last point that you'll, we'll get to at the end of this is this question of whether or not, or rather, what does discipleship actually cost? And this comes through very clearly in, in all the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and even in John as well, that discipleship is the sort of thing that is going to cost our very lives. In other words, in life, we're all going to give our lives to something. Our lives, as they are, not something that we can save for ourselves, which is really interesting because oftentimes we think about our lives as the sort of things that, rather, we look at the world and think about how we have all of its resources and all that it has to offer to bolster the thing that we love our we love more than anything and that's life itself and jesus throws that uh around and says uh you can't take the world um and use that to be able to bolster or to hold on to something that you could never keep uh but that you have the opportunity through discipleship to say I'm going to give my life because I could never keep it anyway to the only one who can preserve it, um, who could only, only one who actually um, can bring any lasting meaning or value to my very life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the person who, who takes something as valuable as a human life, mine or yours, and wastes it on things that don't matter. Um, Jesus offers us the opportunity to give our lives to him through discipleship because it's giving it towards something that not just uh, that, that is limitless in its value and its meaning uh, that's that's a life well spent so with that in mind what i want us to do is to read together luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 27 and just reflect on this, and then we'll probably close in prayer and then dismiss. So it says this, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, 
I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves and bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them, and then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Then all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Let us pause there. Uh, it's important to remember from what we can read in, in a passage like this that Jesus, in his ministry, was holistic in his approach, where the needs, sort of needs that he's meeting is not merely uh, mental, not merely spiritual, not merely psychological, uh, or not merely physical, that is, feeding them with real food, uh, bread and fish, um, that, that it's it's a false dichotomy to try and pit the needs of a person from the physical, from the spiritual. Jesus came and in his compassion and his love and his um, tenderness towards people who, who knew that they just needed Jesus, that um, he was gracious and compassionate uh, to meet the felt needs of these people. And so... Uh, it's important then to remember that uh, in our ministry and in our love, expressions of love towards people, it's not merely about um, a f uh, uh, physical ministry, not merely even about spiritual ministry, but it's uh, about seeing that both of those things really do come together in a complete fashion as Jesus did. But let's continue. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That is, to die to yourself daily. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit 
his very self. If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. In other words, you can deny your life now or be denied by the Son of Man when he returns and when it actually matters. Uh, that's something that I just read in a recent commentary. I can't remember the name of the author, but that's the thing that stuck with me. But uh, let's continue. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And that's an anticipation, certainly, of the transfiguration that's about to take place in tomorrow's uh, devotional. But uh, just ponder in your mind, in your heart of hearts, uh, what is your life worth? And if your life is of eternal value, uh, then it's worthy of an internal cause. Um, it's worthy of an internal purpose. It's worthy of something that has eternal meaning. And that's when it belongs to God and God completely. Because he loves you and values your life more than anybody else could. There's nothing in the world that we can have that we can get in order to be able to preserve something that we could never keep for our own. But God actually shows us a way that, that our lives actually can be saved and can be preserved because it's in the hands of someone who looks at your life as one that has infinite value. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, that even as you're leading us on a path of discipleship and you're uh, showing us how to not just hear the message, but how to let it affect and touch our hearts so that we become people who, who live the message that we preach. Um, Lord, help us to uh, be people who trust you, people who are willing to lay down our very lives daily uh, for your sake as we follow after you, Lord. Father, it is a joy, it is a delight uh, to walk in your ways. Lord, continue to shape us and mold us uh, renew us from the inside out, Holy Spirit, so that we can become the people you've called us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Sunday. I hope you get the opportunity to uh, go love someone uh, on the outs or outside your circle or whoever the Lord brings into your life. Uh, and I pray God would bless you and keep you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you very soon. So even tomorrow for tomorrow's daily devotion. So take care. <laughs>